This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I love this time of year. There's something about it. I, yesterday, uh, my uh, temperature gauge in my car showed one degree. Uh, I don't necessarily enjoy that, but uh, I enjoy this time of year and just what comes with it. It's, uh, it's a very special time. Uh, it also can lead to uh, something known as discontent. Uh, we have a tendency to uh, evaluate our lives at a season like this, especially going into a new year and figuring out what needs to change. And I love change, and I love uh, fixing things, and I love doing things better. And yet sometimes we get caught in the worldly mentality that when something gets fixed, then we can find this thing we're looking for. And I'd like to sort of address that. Uh, and before I, I do, because that's what our message is going to be on, basically the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, But I also just want to uh, put a note out there that I haven't forgotten what we were going through in November and December on spiritual gifts and the involvement of the body. Uh, I just want to uh, sort of start out our new year with a uh, thought that is processed by our pastoral team of how we want to take the next steps forward with that. Meanwhile, I just have a hankering to talk about Jesus and so when I did poke my head in on that one Sunday, I don't remember what it was, the 9th of, Dece- of December, I talked about Jesus, and that's sort of what I'd like to do uh, now. That's the great meditation of my life right now. It hasn't been on spiritual gifts as much as it's just been on who Jesus is. Uh, there was a statement, Sandy and Dan uh, are in Belize, so is Kemi, and I talked with Sandy the other day, and uh, she said something that stood out to me that really matches with what we are talking about here Uh, I said, so how was your Christmas down there? And she said, uh, it was great. She said it was very different. Uh, I forgot, I wish I could quote. I'm I'm not good at quoting people. I can only give the gist of what people say. But it was something like this. Uh, It's strange being in a foreign country all by yourselves and you don't have anything that makes Christmas feel Christmassy. So there's no tree there's no lights, there's no bells, there's no uh, grocery store down the street to go buy your favorite stuff to make your cookies. And she said, everything was gone. And so as a family, we had one thing. And that was the point of the whole thing, Jesus. And it was fascinating just hearing her process through that out loud to me, because at first it sounds very depressing. You follow me on that? It's like, oh, poor thing. It's what you want to do is you want to comfort someone through the phone. It's like, I'm so sorry you went through that. Instead, she sort of brags about how special it was. And very few of us ever allow all things to be stripped away so that we can prove the sufficiency of Christ. We don't really want to have to prove the sufficiency of Christ. We'd really like to have our stuff and then add Christ on top. And I would say the essence of Christianity is a willingness to allow Christ to be our all in all. 
which means we need to be willing to let go of the things that we hold to to find comfort and satisfaction. So I'm, I, I've been thinking in the back that I probably should have named this something different. This is a good name, but if I had just named it Enough, I think that would have been a really cool title for this. So just imagine it's called Enough, just for a second, because I like this title too, and we're, we're going to stick with this title. But Jesus is Enough. And have you ever had a life trial where if anyone comes to you and gives you counsel and what they say to you is, Jesus, that's what you need right now. It's like that just seems like a pat answer. It's like, I need, okay, Jesus is great, but I also need this fixed. I need this taken care of, and I need this problem out of my life. And what you're doing in that is you're falling for the devil's bait. You see, God's truth speaks very clearly through all that fog and says, no, all you need is Jesus. No matter what issue you face, what your solution is, is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is not satisfying you, it is because you're not appropriating him the way he intends to be appropriated. In other words, he's, you move that out of the way. That expectation you have right there is actually hindering your ability to obtain the fullness of Jesus Christ. Because you think if you have enough money in your bank account, if you have a good paying job, if your family recognized how valuable you were and spoke kindly to you, whatever it is, you fill in the blank of what that something is that if it could one day be rectified, then you would finally be satisfied in life. And as a result, you lose sight of the fact that Jesus is ready to satisfy you today with all that he is. And that's how we as Christians are supposed to live. The world is always following a carrot. We as Christians aren't supposed to be looking for that carrot out there. Jesus has been found. And as a result, we have everything we need, even if we're in a prison cell. And I guarantee you, if you're in a prison cell and you're sitting on like a concrete floor and you're shackled to it and it stinks in there, I could imagine some different prayers that could come out of Eric Ludi. God, get me out of here. God, could you somehow make this pavement more comfortable? I mean, if, if this pavement was more comfortable, I could endure this. If these shackles didn't cut into my wrist, then I could be happy and I could sing songs like Paul and Silas. If this could be satisfied, then I could be a true Christian and satisfied. But I have issues. No matter what your cement floor is, your shackles are, I want you to recognize afresh with me today as we just bask in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is enough. So the gold mine, a, a, gold mine, a reminder of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, which in the Hebrew is El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. So this moment in history is actually a very significant one because it's the entrance. The next uh, scriptures that flow out of this is God entering into covenant with Abraham. We have the, the covenant of the Old Testament, the first one that is literally being entered into right as a outflow of this moment. God is entering into covenant with men. And this is a very significant moment. He gets the new name Abraham. And out of Abraham will be, I mean, Abraham, the father of many children. And Abraham had no, no children at the age of 99. And so all of this amazing stuff is about to come forth. And God introduces himself for the first time in the Bible as El Shaddai. And what's so significant about that? I mean, to us, we, 
I grew up with an Amy Grant song, El Shaddai, great song. Uh, and yet it didn't mean anything to me. I mean, didn't really understand. I sang it all the time, didn't fully understand what that meant. El Shaddai, there's a lot of debates over what it means, which is always interesting in the Hebrew language. But it could mean the victorious conqueror uh, because of the, uh, the Hebrew word shod. But at the same time, it also, and this is, this is what you're going to see me emphasize today, and most scholars would just agree, it means both at the same time. He is everything you need for every battle you will face and for every shortfall you have. He will make up the difference. He is what you need. He is the supplier that is enough for every situation you will ever face in your life. So if you're an orphan, what is he? He's a father. If you have uh, no one, in, you're a single woman, what is he? He's a husband. He, if you're a lone sheep, he's a shepherd. He's the one that makes up the difference and brings about the wholeness to your life. He is El Shaddai. So God is introducing himself in Scripture, Genesis 17, 1, as El Shaddai, the God who is enough. He is all-sufficient. Do you know your God as El Shaddai? The pebble business. So imagine that you went into business and uh, I mean, you're really scraping together whatever you can, your skill, your talents, and you're really uh, struggling to figure out how you're going to make it in this earth. And so you find, you know, you have pebbles. And so you go door to door and you're trying to sell pebbles. And it's a, it's a hard fought uh, life that you have because not many people are interested in your pebbles. In fact, you find that it, it would be easier if you paid them to take your pebbles than for them to pay you for them. And so this is the way most of us function in our spiritual life, okay? In your practical, natural man life, you could be a successful business person. However, in your spiritual life, many of us function with a pebble business where we are attempting to prove righteousness in our life. We are attempting to be holy for God. We are attempting to do good works so that God would smile upon us. But it's us that is attempting to live this grand life, God has commissioned us to live out an impossible existence. And so we look back at heaven and we go, I'm going to do it for you, God. And so I'm going to call that the pebble business. It's the power of self-effort. Most of you that have been well-discipled know that, you know, we go boo to this. This is not good stuff. This is, this is your own righteousness. Paul calls it filthy rags. I mean, this is nothing that is good. However, still many of us have a propensity towards it, if not all of us. So I'm going to contrast that with something I'm going to refer to in this message as the gold mine. If you had a gold mine that had unlimited amounts of gold, why would you still be doing your pebble business? It's irrational, in fact, for you to continue to try and sell pebbles door to door if you had a gold mine. The question is, do you know you have a gold mine? So I'm going to call that the unspeakable gift. Now, the unspeakable gift is Jesus. And technically, the gold mine is Jesus. You have been given something at the cross. And by faith, you are receiving this unspeakable gift, which is meant to supply you with every single thing you need for life and godliness. So here's a, a letter that, imagine that Eric received it. Okay, this is me. You can personalize it your way, right? My son Eric, herein lies the deed to the Havilah gold mine. If you look in Genesis, Havilah is where all the gold was. So this is the Havilah gold mine. It's yours. 100% yours. Now, 
that's pretty amazing. Eric just got a gold mine. I mean, should I ever worry about anything in life again when it comes to material substance? Like, I have a gold mine. This mine is guaranteed to yield. Whoa! Though at times it may appear to have run dry, I promise you that there will always be a fresh vein of gold to follow. You must look for it, study it, get to know it, and never, and I mean never, will you go without. If you seek gold, you shall find gold. This mine will certainly reward you if you diligently seek its riches. You are penniless and unable to support the high calling you've received on your, earthly, on your own earthly salary. Now, there's what you're called to do as a Christian, Eric, you cannot do if you try and do it in your own strength. I understand this and therefore have bequeathed you this mine as the means of financially supporting the gargantuan assignment I have given you. As your father, I heartily exhort you, even command you to not take this mine for granted, nor to forsake its great wealth. Mining is difficult work, and no doubt there will be times in which you desire to see if your own measly paycheck can sustain you. I assure you now that it will not and never will be able to. So quit yourself like a man, Eric, and go to work. If you heed my directive and embrace this high calling, you will have riches to spare. I'm eager to witness how you steward this grand gift I've entrusted you. Your beloved father... Now, he could could have called himself Abba. That would be appropriate. But in this case, I purposely had him sign it as El Shaddai to make a point. In other words, the one who knows what you need, knows what you lack, knows where you have fallen short and knows where you are limping around, he is going to make up that difference and give you precisely what you need. And he's done it. He has actually supplied us with everything we need to make it in this life. Everything. The epitome of foolishness. The epitome of foolishness would be spending your time and energies on a pebble business when you've inherited a gold mine. You see, Christianity is actually extremely simple, but very hard to live out. You ever felt that? It's like when you hear the truth, you're like, yeah, so, yeah, okay, I agree with that. But, we always want to stick a but. And like, for instance, take no thought for your life, says Jesus. <laughs> Excuse me, but what about this, 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 and this? God, I, my bills don't pay themselves. I I still need something. He goes, I know. So I'm going to tell you what to do. I want you to seek me first. And my righteousness, I'll deal with that. Well, how many of us have actually trusted him to do that? You see, if we were to make him our focus, our focal point, he is our everything. He is what we live for. He is what we pursue. Do you actually trust what the word of God says? That he says, you seek it, you'll find precisely what you need. You seek after me, I'll take care of all the details in your life that you're stressed about right now. Foolish living. So listen to this scripture. Are you so foolish? What was the definition of foolish in this passage? Paul's speaking to the church at Galatia. Having begun in the spirit, having begun with a gold mine, are you now being made perfect by the flesh, by your pebble business? You started this thing with a gold mine. Now you're like, yeah, yeah, the gold mine. Sure, I I agree, I have a gold mine. Well, then why are you selling pebbles again? Why are you trying to do this in your own strength, in your own ability? Why are you going back to that? That's the epitome of foolishness. Law and grace. So in the old covenant, it was a covenant of law, and it proved our need. Our need for what? For El Shaddai to come. And grace is what we now have. Grace is like the gold mine. 
It's been given to us. So law, man's effort on God's behalf versus God's effort on man's behalf. In the Old Testament, you had man giving his best effort to prove righteousness. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, not good enough. There's only condemnation that hangs over you. The law exposed the sinner and showed the sinner his or her need for a savior. Grace is the revelation of the Savior. It's the revelation of the gold mine. It's the handing over of the deed of the gold mine saying, you have everything you need now if you will accept it. Will you enter into that gold mine and partake of its gold? And if so, you will never lack. So God's effort on man's behalf. The first and the second. So the law of sin and death only proves one thing. You need a Savior. Law is actually good. I know this sounds funny, but law is good in the sense that it reveals the perfection of God and it reveals your imperfection. What's good about that? Because it's supposed to tutor your soul like a schoolmaster to lead you to Jesus Christ. You're supposed to cry out and say, I need a savior. And then Jesus throws his hand up in the air and goes, yeah, I'll do that for you. And so the second, there's another law in the New Testament that we are set free into. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm no longer trying to do this with my own pebble business. I don't need to try and sustain this grand calling of living holy as he is holy, perfect as he is perfect, with my own self-effort. I'm set free now into Christ's work. He has done it. He opened up a whole gold mine for me. He's like, the gold's in there, Eric. Live in there. Mine in there. That's where you do your work. You will never lack. I've supplied you everything you need. We have been freed from the pebble business. Good news. We've been given the gold mine. Now look at what I did to gold. See? I crossed it out and emphasized the grace mine. See, now... If I'm going to give everything away, I'm going to tell you right up front, the grace mine is Jesus. And what's your position? It's like saying I'm in the gold mine. I have everything I need in Christ Jesus to do this thing. I have a job. You ever felt like when you look out at this world, it's like God doesn't understand economics. He doesn't realize I need money to make this work. So if you're a missionary, you're like, hey God, yeah, I'm willing to go but I sort of need funding for this. And as if God's like, what? What's funding? And so we feel like we need to somehow help him along. God knows the system that he created, and he has given us everything we need if we will trust him, if we will remain in him, instead of going back to our own way of doing things. And by the way, the guy speaking to you has done it many times, going back to my own way. You ever had it where you're seeing clearly in your life? You're like... I got this, God. I, I, I see how this is supposed to work. I walk by faith. I trust you in everything. And then things get a little foggy, a little more dense, uh, and you're not seen as clearly, and suddenly you're, you're thinking about banks. You're thinking about going to this person and talking to them about this. and You start to think more worldly than you do heavenly. And so as a result, there's a constant bait to lose the idea of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and finding this world as the answer instead of God. The grace mine, everything that is needful for life and godliness. Listen to 2 Peter 1. 
Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Somewhat of a play on words. Instead of the grace mine, this is the grace that is mine. And he said unto me, remember this is God speaking unto Paul. Paul is really struggling with this thorn, and he has need. And so God's answer is, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Well, there's an El Shaddai statement if I've ever heard one. Everything you need, Paul, is found in me right now. Everything that you need for this situation. And what Paul is thinking is, if I could just have this thorn removed then, even while the thorn is there, God says, my grace is sufficient. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So, this divine power that has been given to us in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Now, godliness is somewhat of an obscure term to, I think, many of us. If I said, what's godliness? It's like, well, it's like godly things. It's like uh, things that are godly. And that, that's not a really good answer. Godliness is a key idea that is revealed in the New Testament that was absolutely impossible under the law of Moses. And what we have is something that is revealed in and through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross You see, in the life of a man known as Jesus Christ, who was also God, was revealed the nature of God. Godliness. So Jesus revealed godliness. So a man in his body was inhabited by God and revealed God. Now, granted, Jesus was God. He did it perfectly. However, what we see is there's this mystery of godliness that God desires to now take your body and reveal the nature of God through it. It's called the divine nature. Who Jesus is in and through us, uh-huh. that's called godliness. So introducing godliness, his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Godliness, the best of God's life exercised in a man's body. Imagine having God exercise himself inside of you. What would that look like? What would be called godliness? What would be coming out of you? Godly behavior, godliness. So I'm going to contrast that with something that we're more familiar with, because I would say godliness isn't something that we are great at. Humanliness, we're really good at. We can produce humanliness really well. That's the best of human ability exercised in a man's body. This is what we're trained at. When we go through school growing up, what are we trained in? Unfortunately, it's not always godliness. It's humanliness. It's like, this is what you can do. This is your potential. Reach your potential. You can do it. I want you to show the world what you can do. And some of you are even somewhat offended by the fact that I just said that because you're thinking, is he going to say that that's wrong? I'm not saying that we as humans shouldn't enter into this thing called life and give our best. However, just like the little drummer boy, since this is Christmas season, we do our best for him. In other words, our best is no longer to showcase what we can do. We focus on what he has done, who he is. And we allow that to overtake our life and we give our best to him. All that we are, all that we have, he gets it. 
And then now he is able to take this life, the best of it, and showcase his best through it. And by the way, godliness is far superior to humanliness. Godliness, that which reveals what God can do in and through a yielded human vessel. Humanliness, that which reveals what, God, what, that which reveals what man can do when his best, most sincere efforts are given to the task. The Olympic Games. Now, I'm not saying the Olympic Games aren't fun to watch. I'm saying that's what it is. It's a celebration of what man can do. Not what God can do in a man. What man can do when he exercises, he disciplines himself, and he builds his life around the priority of human excellence. It showcases that this is what man can do. Humanliness. Godliness. Turning to God for life and everything that pertains to living life well. Humanliness. Turning to man's efforts to conjure a sense of life and leaning on man's wisdom, strength, and ability to bring the effects of salvation, redemption, and restoration to the soul. So I'm going to contrast two things here. Christianity, that which God does to save man. Humanism, that which man does to save himself. We are not humanists. We are Christians, which means we emphasize what God does to save us. So in every situation, you could approach it as a humanist and say, what do I need to fix my life? What do I need to do? What can I do to muster up the ability to solve my life's dilemmas? A Christian goes to the gold mine. A Christian goes to Christ and says, what have you done that I need to partake of? And he shows you the vein of gold, and we go after that, and we diligently pursue him. We seek first his kingdom. We seek first his rulership over our life. This life belongs to you, Jesus. I've made a mess of it, and I have all sorts of problems in my life. But instead of trying to solve those with my own ability, my own strength, I'm going to go to you, my Savior, the one who solves my life's dilemmas, the one who makes up the difference where I fall short. I need El Shaddai. You need El Shaddai. We need the God who is enough. The God who is sufficient. It's not our own energy, our own strength and discipline that is going to solve our life. It is his ability. And he has given us everything we need and it's called grace. And it is sufficient. It is enough. Remember Charles Spurgeon's illustration of uh, sufficient? He said it's like a little fish in the ocean calling out to God, saying, "Uh, God, I'm really concerned there's not going to be enough water for me to swim in. And God says, oh, little fishy, my water is sufficient for you. You see, that is the grace of God. It is not just enough. It is so vast, so overwhelmingly beyond anything we could ever troll the depths of or reach the ends of. It is God Almighty's sufficiency. It is his life given. It is his ability. The one who created the heavens and the earth. Don't you think he can help you in your little piddly situation? Of course he can. His grace is sufficient. The itch for the counterfeit savior, a different answer to the problem. You ever had that where it sort of offends you when someone gives you a biblical answer to your problem or a spiritual sounding answer instead of one that you really want to hear? That's what itching ears are all about. Itching ears don't want to hear what God has to say. They want to hear what we want to hear. Tell me that I can do it my way. Surround me with counsel that will tell me what I want to hear. We don't want to hear that we need to die to ourselves, that we need to give up control and allow Jesus Christ to do it. We don't want to hear that we need to have faith. We want to be able to do it ourselves. Tell me what I need to do. 
I can fix this. Don't tell me that God has to be in control of all these things. Don't tell me that he's the only one that can do it because I'm talented. I have ability. But Christianity hinges on the fact that we submit to the fact that we can't, only he can. You see, there's all sorts of things that you can do. And I'll acknowledge that. I'm not going to say that you can't sit in that chair. You couldn't stand up if I told you to. There are things that we are physically able to do, but the spiritual calling that you have upon your life to reveal the, re- the revelation of God's divine nature, to showcase the fruit of the Spirit of God, you cannot do these things in your own energy, ambition, determination, and discipline. You can only produce the fruit of fallen man, which is disgusting in heaven. You want to participate in this great thing known as the kingdom of heaven? You have to give up your life and allow the living God to indwell you and to produce a fruit out of your life that you can't do yourselves. The one solution for a dark room. So if we had a dark room, how can we solve this? Well, how does one get rid of darkness? For darkness, there is only one solution, light. Everything else is a counterfeit solution. For deadness, there is only one solution, life. Everything else is a counterfeit solution. For hunger, there is only one solution, food. For thirst, there is only one solution, drink. For atonement, justification, salvation, redemption, justification, sanctification, forgiveness, and healing, there is only one solution, Jesus Christ and him crucified. For life and godliness, there is only one solution, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's only one solution. This is what Jesus himself teaches us. This is what the entire Bible is roaring with as far as a message. He is El Shaddai. He is the Almighty One who fills in the gap and makes up the difference and can save. He is the only one who can do it. You have a problem with darkness in your life? There's all sorts of solutions. There's all sorts of psychological things you could go through and maybe some psychotherapy. Uh, There's all sorts of medicines uh, that you could maybe uh, take that could help alleviate some of the damper and depression and oppressions that are coming against you. The Christian understands that there is one solution to darkness, and that is light. And he is that light. If you're struggling with uh, those dead areas of your soul and you, you don't live, you don't have the vibrancy, you're not producing fruit in your life, there's only one solution to death, and that's life. There's only one that can give life, the author of life. His name is Jesus Christ. You notice that he's also the food, he's the drink. He's everything that satisfies this body. And so when you recognize in the new birth we are a spiritual man, And we have spiritual hunger. We have spiritual eyesight. We have spiritual hearing. We need spiritual life. He is the only one that can sustain that life. You try and feed your spiritual man on natural Twinkies, and you'll find that it will not work. You must have spiritual food to feed a spiritual man. You must have spiritual light to displace and to remove the spiritual darkness. We need Jesus Christ. When you have been given the gold mine, why would you continue to trust your pebble business to pay the bills? I mean, it's, it's foolishness. If you've been given the gold mine, have you been given a gold mine? Have you been entrusted with the fullness of God? Have you been given everything you need for life and godliness? Yeah, I have. Well, then why would you seek any other source, any other counterfeit solution to life's problems? 
you have the answer. You come to Jesus Christ, you seek him first, and you're going to find that he will address your life's challenges. The master switch, all the individual switches solved in one. We were doing some electrical work uh, in my house this last week. And you know how in those electrical boxes, there's like one master switch, and the whole house goes, and then, you know, you could be messing with the other switches, but it's not going to do much if you, if you don't have the master switch on, right? And so this is like Jesus. We're all clicking switches, trying to solve our life's problems, and it goes, and then it goes, and you have light again. You have the electrical current again. Master switch, Jesus Christ. The whole house lights up. The whole thing starts working again. There's something about this season, as wonderful as it is, that also has the propensity to deaden us. The whole thing is supposedly about Jesus. Supposedly, right? And we'll oftentimes, you know, read the Christmas story and do various things. And so we, like, give a notion to Jesus, but then we have all our fun. Jesus is supposed to be the fulcrum. When we go through a season like this, we can sort of become lethargic spiritually. So some of you may have felt that, even getting up this morning and your quiet time. The word of God is sort of heavy this morning. It's not like light and, uh, and just full of zest and just zinging in. And so it seems like burdensome to read the Bible. Whenever you begin to sense that, the solution isn't some self-help manual. It's Jesus. Just come back to Jesus. He's always the solution. You always have it. Use it. So afresh today, my, my entire meaning for this message is just to remind us of what we have in Jesus Christ. Make Jesus your life and you will profit in all things. Listen to this. Exercise your, yourself toward godliness. So how would you exercise yourself toward godliness? Every moment of every day, you recognize that there is a propensity to do things your way or to do things God's way. And so to exercise godliness is to remind yourself always of whose life you're living. You're not living your life, your way, with your energy and strength. You're living God's life, his way, with his grace. That's exercising godliness. And the more you do that, the more you'll recognize that out of your life will flow good fruit. So it says exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Wow, that's a master switch if I've ever heard one. But what about this? What about this? Well, actually, uh, what it says in Scripture is that godliness and the exercise of it is profitable for every single thing you'll ever do in your life. Wow, master switch. I like that. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. It doesn't just change your life here and now, but it changes your life for all eternity. Like, hey, I want to do some practice of godliness. That's, that's a great idea. So solve the capital issue, and in so doing, solve all the lowercase issues. So you have a capital issue, and that is the state of your soul, your spiritual life, the place that Jesus Christ holds. If you try and solve the small issues of your life, financial issues, health issues, relational issues, we all have these issues. I mean, they're just there. And many of us get distracted from Christ to address these other issues. And I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm not saying Paul shouldn't pray about his thorn. Paul isn't rebuked for praying about his thorn any more than you should be rebuked for praying about your finances. It's just as you are going through life to remember what it's about. It's not about 
having a lot of finances. It's not about being perfectly healthy. All of us will die. In fact, that's good news. To die is gain. It's not to just live this abundant life in this physical body. It's to live abundantly in our spiritual man, even though we have trials and tribulations around us. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about your physical health or your finances. He does. But you are caring too much about it. If you take that same care you're sticking towards your finances and stick it in Jesus Christ, in his glory, in his name, in people knowing him, well, guess what? He says, okay, I can more easily now take care of these issues in your life. You see, he's actually stunted in his ability to, to help us as El Shaddai when we take his place. And we say, I'll be God in this area of my life. I'll be God over my finances. God, you be God over here over my you know, eternal salvation. I'll be God in my relationships. I'll fix them. Meanwhile, we make them worse. In other words, when we step back and we pursue him first, he's able to bring the grace into these areas of our life. So solve the capital issue, and in so doing, solve all the lowercase issues. If you love, you fulfill the commands. If you believe, you have life everlasting. If you clean the inside, the outside is also clean. If you exercise godliness, you will profit in all things. In other words, the first things. If you deal with the inner man giving himself focused on Jesus Christ, then all these other areas of life begin to be checked, solved, answered. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, i.e. the capital matter, Jesus Christ. And all these things, and by the way, the parentheses are mine, and all these things, the lowercase issues of life, shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Living fully today. So, whatever that weird propensity is that we have, when we say, oh, in this next year, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And this next year is going to be better than this one. Some of you, I just caught you red-handed thinking thoughts like that. Well, guess what? We have today. Why can't today be the greatest day of your life? I mean, who cares about next year? We're living today. Today is when the grace is. Did you know that? I know this sounds strange. There will be grace when you get to March 14th of this next year. There will be grace there. But we're not there. We're here on December 30th of 2018. And guess what? If you want grace, it's only available today. So if you wait to get the grace until March 14th of next year, you may never get it. Because when you get to March 14th next year, I guarantee that carrot will move out to August 10th. And you'll always be chasing that carrot. Instead of recognizing grace is in today. Jesus is present tense. He's like, hey, arms open wide, mine open. Take advantage of it. Grace is for today, always for today. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. For those of you that know the prophetic uh, record of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New, that's obviously a key reference to the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, he was a stone which the builders rejected, and he became the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. So here we are in Psalm 118. It's likely, uh, you know, it could be a thousand years before Jesus even came. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. There's two ways you can look at this. This is the day the Lord has made. What day? Well, the day the, the builders rejected the stone. Remember that? The, the day of the crucifixion. Remember that? That's the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in what God has done. 
You could look at it that way. At the same, guess what? We live in Christ, in his work, in his triumph. Not just at the cross, but over the grave. This is the day. The day is still here. We share in it. We could even call it the Lord's day. He's the conqueror still today, present tense, right now. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad in this day. For that is the reality of this day. It doesn't fade. It's not just 2,000 years old. It's grown stale. It's present tense reality. The sufficiency that was gained for me at that cross is still just as sufficient today. The the saints of God throughout the last 2,000 years that we marvel at, we read their biographies, whatever they had access to is available to us. No excuses on our part. If you run your pebble business, you'll never understand it. But when you give up your life and come to Jesus and say, you are my all in all. You are what this is about. Take my life. Let it be consecrated unto thee. You will find something that the saints of old all knew. The sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Don't be fooled into thinking that grace will be found someday when fill in the blank finally happens. So I don't know what your fill in the blank is. I have plenty of things that the devil's always trying to worm into that little uh, bracket area in my life. Well, Eric, when this finally gets solved, it'll be a lot easier for this and this and this. Yeah, that sure is true. Boy, this would be a lot easier if that, well, I'm doing that again. No, no, this is my opportunity. If, If we were in a prison cell right now, I have a hunch that would be very easy to fill in and we could even have everyone else in the church going, yeah, boy, you'd do a lot better in your evangelism when you're not in solitary confinement. I agree, that's true. But what does that solitary confinement offer in you? As one great uh, saint of old once said after being, I don't know how many years, 10 years in solitary confinement in pitch black, and they asked him, what was it like? He said it was like a honeymoon with Jesus. So what is your challenge right now that you would stick right there in that bracket? That's a honeymoon with Jesus. Right there, those trials are opening up to you a level of grace that you can't have if you don't have the trial. But you're missing it. Because you're so concerned about getting rid of it that you don't take advantage of it. You have an opportunity to know Jesus in a greater way right now with the current challenge that you face. Instead of just hoping that it goes away, cherish it while it is here and knowing that God will lift it in due time. But meanwhile, this is where you're at. God possesses this very situation that you're in. Just as much as he possessed the situation at the Red Sea when Moses and all the Israelites were backed up to it. What would their prayer reasonably be? God, you shouldn't have done this to us. God, if we just didn't have the Egyptians coming against us, we'd be a lot happier. Why why couldn't you have just obliterated them? What is this? And yet God has a salvation right in front of them. So do you. You have a salvation right in front of you, but you need to keep your gaze focused on that salvation and not on the Egyptian army that is really messing with your comforts in life. God is sufficient for everything you will face, and he will turn everything the enemy means for evil in your life into a glorious picture of his good. The mine is open for digging. Rejoice and be glad in it. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, in the New Testament, we have the same thing. We have a covenant that is about to flow forth, and El Shaddai in human skin shows up and says to those disciples, 
that he is that almighty God. And when you see him, you see the Father. You see the fullness of the Father. You see El Shaddai when you see Jesus. So then, instead of just saying, walk before me and be blameless, basically says, I'd like to come in, take over your life, and walk it out. So that I can walk the blameless life in and through you. The life you can't live, but you keep trying, let me do it. Remember that statement, faithful is he who has called you, who also will do it. See, he's the one, he's El Shaddai. The new covenant is greater than the old covenant. The old covenant could only show you your inability. The new covenant gives you the ability. His name is Jesus. Let Jesus have what is rightfully his. El Shaddai. We could just call him Jesus Christ. The God who is enough. He is all sufficient. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.